1: now. Let's get started. I want your ink in our ears. Everybody and welcome to the Speakeasy Cafe open mic poetry show, The Sound of Ink, in due of our holiday today. We are going to be playing a pre recorded workshop by Sage Cohen, uh, Writing the Life Poetic. And I really hope that you guys enjoy this. It's pretty amazing. And we will be back to our regular open mic show next week. Have a very safe and happy fourth, everybody.
2: the high fashion hotline help my family's hosting an epic memorial day barbecue and we need to look as legendary as our spread to kick off the summer right get to old navy old navy yep starting tomorrow splash into summer with an incredible 50% off all tees all tanks all shorts all dresses and all swimwear at old navy and old navy.com wow 50% off all those styles now that's epic so is this Tees started just six bucks but hurry it ends monday 50% off and tees from six bucks old navy here we come high fashion old navy valid 525-528 to excludes clearance active licensed flag products and men's
1: Welcome to the Inkwell, brought to you by the Speakeasy Café Open Mic Poetry Show. The Inkwell is a how-to show designed for writers to help them advance in their writing careers. So you've written something. Now what? That's what we're here to tell you. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Inkwell. I am so excited to be here tonight, and I'm happy to see all of you here as well. Uh, I'm really, really excited about the guest we have, and... um, the fact that she's agreed to come on and do the show. Her name is Sage Cohen, and she has written Writing the Life Poetic, as well as some other things. We'll talk to her a little bit about that in just a bit. Um, But I wanted to let you know that uh, I'm really grateful that she has agreed to come on and do this workshop for you guys. Normally, her workshops run about $250 a person to attend, and she's doing this free of charge for you poets. And you guys are absolutely going to adore her. She's an amazing, effervescent person and just a, a thrill to talk to, and you're in for a real treat. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring her on, but I wanted to share a little bit of information with you first. Um, let's see. I've got her little bio here. I've got to read that. Oh, where do I start? She's done so much. Um, the the workshop she's going to do today is called writing a life poetic it's an, an invitation to read and write poetry um, she's that was uh, a book that she's just that she has uh, published uh, and it was uh, put out by writers digest books in 2009 and she also has some other books but i don't want to get into that i want her to be able to tell you a little bit about that as well um, in 2009, Sage wrote four monthly columns about the craft and business of writing and served as a poetry editor for Voice Catcher 4. Currently, she is a columnist for Read Write Poem and the publisher of Writing the Life Poetic Sign. Um, she has won first prize in the Ghost Road Press Poetry Contest, which is pretty amazing, been nominated for Pushcart Prize, and has been awarded a slipstone residency and that is a huge deal as well. She holds an MFA in Creative Writing from the New York University and a BA in Comparative Literature from Brown University. Um, She teaches widely at conferences, libraries, universities, bookstores, and online, and today she is here with us. So I am very, very excited to introduce her to you. And uh, let me see if she's with us. Sage, are you with us, hon?
3: I am with you. Welcome, dear. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
1: it's been a hectic morning. I'll tell you what we've been—we've had it. Sage and I have been going back and forth all morning on, on emails and and um, and uh, phone calls and stuff. But one of the things that is uh, as a result of that, which I am very, very excited about, is Sage has agreed to come on, back onto the show with us, back onto the Inkwell, on March 30th to do a question and answer show. So since we are not taking any callers today, um, we're, she's going to come back and you're going to be able to call in, ask her questions. And if you'd like read some of the poetry that you have written during her workshop today, So um, without any further ado, Sage, I want to uh, make sure that you get a chance to talk with everybody and um, if you want to maybe give us kind of an idea of, uh, well, actually, you know what I'd like to do first? What? (laughs) I would love to have you, because I want you to explain to everybody what's in store for the workshop Uh and tell it a little bit about what you're doing. But first, I would like you to tell everybody why you wrote uh, writing the life poetic. What was the reason, the purpose of you
3: doing that? Sure. Well, I've been working with writers for most of my life in some capacity or another, and it seemed to me that most people have been told it's by somebody at some point in their life that poetry was not available to them, that they were not something enough, they were not intelligent enough or creative enough, or their life wasn't interesting enough, there is some way in which so many people shut down to poetry and feel that it's not available to them, that it's some sort of lofty kind of literary place that only the select and incomprehensible few inhabit. And I don't believe that to be true, and I wanted to create a new conversation or or become a part of... um, another type of conversation about poetry which is isn't it fun and and look how possible it is and look we all have everything we need right here right now to do it and so let's get started so the purpose for me in creating this book and and continuing the conversation with with the zine that i publish is to see what's possible right now and to have fun with poetry and So the way the book is constructed is to be extremely friendly and inviting. Uh, It's a mix of exercises and insights and craft tips and wisdom from a wide range of writers, uh, many of whom are local to uh, the Portland area where I live, and many of whom are also all over the world, many of whom I know personally and some I don't. Uh, But to kind of bring together wisdom and insight and And to get people excited about writing and to help them understand that everything they need is right there in front of them and and get out your paper and your pen and and let's get going. So that, that was my goal.
1: That's amazing, and I've actually had a chance to um, attend one of your workshops and hear you read and all of that, and so that's one of the reasons that I asked you to be on the show here, just because I think that you're absolutely, first of all, an amazing writer, and just be warned, I will be asking you to read a poem in a few minutes, because I want to share you with everybody, Um, but... um, you know, just just the way that you relate to people is just incredible, and you're very just. You know, you as a person yourself are very. You draw people to you, and you're very inspiring. And I am just Thank absolutely you. thrilled that you're here. Um, before we get started, I also wanted to touch as well. You have another book coming out. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit you, about that?
3: Sure. Um, it is called the Productive Writer tips and tools to help you write more, stress less, and create success, and it will be coming out towards the end of this year also from Writer's Digest Books, and it's for a little bit wider of an audience. It's for basically any type of writer, people who are writing poetry or prose, people who are writing for business, um, who want to be more effective and efficient in the way that they write. So, um, if you, I know you're familiar with the style of it, of uh, writing a life poetic. It, this also mm-hmm. is. Um, I'm, I'm trained as a life coach as well, and get teased a lot for my cheerleading. But that that element I can't help but bring with me into every project I do. So, uh, so the book will have a range of systems and strategies for writing and publishing and presenting oneself publicly more effectively, uh, but also will address some of the psychological baggage that we put in our way with writing, the ideas that we have about writer's block and how we work with fear and just yes. kind of putting aside, identifying what it is that's in our way and then very nicely and in a very friendly way saying, okay, I'm going to put you over here and keep on writing. So it's it's kind of a mix of the the hardcore tools and then some of the softer. How do we work with ourselves to uh, change the way we relate to to or to improve and our our satisfaction with the way that we relate to our writing life?
1: Yeah, it's so funny because I wanted I just I want to get inside your head and ask you all kinds of questions, but that stuff we'll do on the next show. This one's for the workshop, so I have to <laughs> I have to bite my tongue.
0: <laughs> so. <gasps>
1: Well, before we get started on the rest of the stuff, I'm going to have you explain what people can expect for the workshop and how we're going to do things, and then I'll give them a little bit of information before we get started. But I would really love that if you would share um, a poem or two with us, if you have any, because so people can get sure. kind of a taste of your writing.
3: Sure. I have lots of poems. I think I'm going to read two, one that is an older one and one that I wrote this week. And... I chose them because uh, what we're going to be talking about today is kind of the poetry of the ordinary, about how much is available to us in our everyday lives that may or may not seem particularly interesting or exciting to us. Uh, but learning how to tune into what is there and develop a practice uh, from that place. So um, the first one is is titled "Dear Sam," which also uh, kind of Functions of the first line. Dear Sam, when I squint my eyes, I can make your hair a single star, points breaking around your head, winter breaking inside of me, a cape of discarded color at my feet. I talk the dirt out of my mouth. I am no expert. I shine my dim light, and you're out there breaking glass. I filled a whole notebook with you once, but still you are missing. There are pink stars on the red formica table, the mattress a pulse of argument. Next year, New York will be different, but tonight the moon is a white spine, and a small candle burns our shadows into the wall.
0: That
1: was incredible. I've not heard that one before. Is that one in your poetry book?
3: It isn't. It isn't. Um, I just discovered it. I wrote it a while ago and went digging through some of my older poems and and found it and thought it was fun to, uh, to revisit. So yeah, I, I've gotten a little tired of reading the poems in my poetry book. <laughs> um,
1: that was I, I others. cannot tell you how much I love that poem. Do you want to share another quick one with us before we get sure. started, or do you want to wait?
3: Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, this other one is pretty quick, and uh, th- just for contrast, this one was written this week. So it's a, it's, and I'm going to talk a little bit a little later about um, the poetry of motherhood, and this one is called the waitress. Uh, also, this title, evidently, I, I've, I, have, I like to use titles as first lines. The Waitress kneels to place Theo's fallen shoe on his foot with the care of a courtier. As she speaks his name, both faces break from bud to blossom. Foot in hand, she tells him, there are buildings like this Everywhere, with women like me in them. I have been eating pink and white and red peanut M&Ms made for Valentine's Day and sold at a post-romantic discount. I know that once we reach a certain age, faces no longer open. I press the cut flower of this promise to my chest clutch the menu quietly say into the space where i just asked for pancakes may my son always feel welcomed simply for walking into a restaurant sitting down dropping his shoe
1: i now is that one in your book
3: this i wrote this week <laughs> oh no okay <laughs>
1: So I'm assuming that uh, you have another poetry book coming out soon as well. (laughs)
3: Let's assume that, yes.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm real excited that you're going to be when we do the next show because we'll be able to talk to you a little bit about so many different facets, so the fact of of, of you publishing design, of you being a writer. Um, I know that you've self-published. I know that you've had books published by a a publishing company, all kinds of things. And you're just going to be a plethora of information for me to pluck from your brain and share (laughs) with everybody. So I'm really excited about that, but we won't do that today. Okay. That's myself keeping myself in rain. (laughs) (laughs) I will look forward to our next conversation. Okay, but for today, I would like to get on to the workshop and yeah. um, kind of, I'll, i and I'm, will you tell everyone kind of what to expect from you today and what you're going to sure. need from them so they will know what we're going to be doing from this point forward?
3: Sure. Okay. Um, it would be great if everyone had was sitting somewhere comfortable, has something uh, to write with, a pen and paper or a computer or whatever it is that is your, uh, your way and we're going it's going to be a mix i'm going to be um lecturing a little bit sharing some ideas and thoughts and and tips i'm going to be reading a few little snippets from my book writing the life poetic i'm going to be weaving in a lot of poems some of which are are from writing a life poetic and when i am referencing that book i'll give you page numbers if if you are also referencing that book so you can read along Um, I think poems are the best teachers, so I will be sharing those to illustrate uh, my various points. And then there will be uh, a handful of exercises woven in along the way. And I just want to say that I'm I'm particularly excited. A lot of the teaching that I do is online, and uh, folks are kind of in their own space by themselves writing, and then we come together. Every week to share, and there's there's something really exciting that happens. Knowing that we are all together right now, or folks who are going to be downloading this and doing this later, that that something something special happens when when people who care about something collectively are doing it together. So, Nyla, I want to thank you for. Creating this space for this incredible opportunity, this incredible community to gather and think about poetry together and write poetry together, and I'm really happy to be a part of it.
1: Oh, we're thrilled! You have no idea. I've been <laughs> twirling and doing cartwheels all week long, and yeah, I'm going I'm to get me a little Sage Cohen groupie t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's Which,
1: so fun! Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> Okay. poets. just to kind of let you know how the show is going to run today. I'm going to turn turn it over to Sage in a moment. She's going to take over the show and start her workshop. The way that we've designed today's show is I want to, you know me, I talk a lot, I want to get as much information packed into this for you as possible. And we only have um, two hours with Sage today. So when it's time to do the writing prompts that she gives you, we're going to be playing some background music and And while that's going on, I'll probably ask her a couple questions here and there and and just kind of pick her brain a little bit. Um, But the the writing time isn't going to be that long, nowhere near as long as what you're going to need. And so the way we've designed this show is so that you can come back and listen to the archives at your leisure. And when you hear the music start up, you'll know that's time. You can pause the show and do your writing exercise in full And then when you're done doing your writing exercise, you can start the show back up and continue on with the workshop. So this is something that you'll be able to take advantage of even after the show's over in the archives, and I'm really hoping that you do that. And then again, um, Sage is going to be joining us next, uh, the 30th of March, and doing a follow-up show. And if you write something during the workshop you want to share with us or you have questions for her, then we will be taking calls and we can pick her brain some. So with that said, without further ado, Sage, I would like to turn the show
3: over to you and let you start your workshop. All right. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. So we're going to be talking about tuning into your poetic life. And I'm going to start with a poem that is on page 5 of writing The Life Poetic. It is titled Genuine Imitation, and it is by a Portland area poet, Willa Schneeberg, who has a beautiful, heavy Brooklyn accent, and I cannot imitate it, but I always hear this poem in her voice. Genuine Imitation. Give me the fake, the imitation, the simulation, any day over the real thing. Give me the bronze garbage in Haymarket Square with the inlaid, crumpled Boston Globe, embedded lettuce leaves, flattened fish scales that will never be burned, bagged, or rotted. Give me the plaster life-size cows, black with white spots, shaped like clouds, in the parking lot outside the hilltop steakhouse, who will not experience the irritation of flies or the teat-sucking machine, Give me my daughter's model trains, endlessly circling towns that have no pollution. Everyone's welcome, and whoever's sick goes to the doll hospital. Give me the poem, its room not even a page wide, where one enters as often as one likes, to watch the man place quarters on his dead wife's lids, to feel the grief, not your own. And I I love this poem. I, I love um, give me the poem, it's room not even a page wide where anything, anything is possible. And uh, I, I find this a lovely invitation in to the space of writing poetry. And I want to share a little story about an experience I had teaching this summer at, at the Willamette Writers Conference. I was uh, teaching a class on publishing poetry, and a very lovely man sitting in the front row raised his hand and said, Oh, Sage, I love your book, and I-, I read it every morning. I read a chapter every morning to start my writing practice, and I've been waiting all year to tell you that you are my poetry moose. And uh, what he meant to say, of course, was was muse, and the room broke into laughter, and it kind of opened up the... The delight for all of us in our experience of learning together and it was I I think one of the best teachers about what is possible in poetry that it's so easy to get lost in the seriousness of wanting to do something well (laughs) and in my experience poetry is what bubbles out out of the fissures of those really embarrassing mistakes that we make. It's in all the messy stuff that we wish didn't happen that that we would prefer to cover up. And so this class, the moose became a metaphor that ran through this whole class, and we still communicate with each other by email about being warrior moose and it's it's become a fun a fun metaphor for me and, and uh, I write about in I write about mistakes in writing the life poetic and how much how much juice there is in, in mistakes uh, there uh, my friend Austin came back from Japan with a sweatshirt that said angel potato and I just thought that was a really a really beautiful invitation to contemplate what an angel potato might be. So uh, so my invitation uh, throughout this workshop and just in general as we are uh, tuning in to the poetry of our lives is to really savor the mistakes, the accidents, uh, the things that are synchronistic that we weren't expecting or planning for. And I'm going to read um, each chapter in writing The Life Poetic starts with a a brief essay, um, either a philosophy or a little bit of instruction, something to kind of uh, set the tone of what the chapter is all about. And I am going to read uh, the chapter, To Thine Own Self Be True, and it's on page 242. It's chapter 75. I'm going to read the introduction to kind of prime our pumps here. And... uh, (laughs) I'll warn you, there's a little bit of singing. I'll try to do it quietly. Uh, To thine own self be true. Ren was a massage practitioner treating my dog, Hamachi, for back pain. He had paw prints tattooed around his wrists and Pat Benatar's name running up the inside of his forearm. The first time he came to my house, I found myself singing for the, rest of my, for the rest of the day in my most macho rocker girl swagger. Well, you can cry tough, baby, it's all right. You can let me down easy, but not tonight. Wren's second visit inspired, before I put another notch in my lipstick case, you better make sure you put me in my place. Fire and ice of course, was simply inevitable. On his third visit, I asked Ren, how has it impacted your life to have Pat Benatar's name on your body? He was sitting on the floor with Hamachi in his lap. She was upside down, spread eagle, licking his wrists. He was working on softening the fascia of her belly that connects to the spine. He lit up. Kat Benatar is my talisman, Wren explained. Her name on my arm is a daily reminder of who I am and how I want to live. I go into people's homes and they see her name on my arm, and they're reminded of who they are and how they want to live. It gets us talking about what matters to us. I'm intrigued by this idea of taking the name or idea or embodiment of someone or something else literally into our skin. Living alongside your life, These words, perhaps, provide a kind of parallel perception, a harmony playing counterpart to the main melody of your form and function, an aspiration or value to which you have assigned yourself, against which the beating of your own heart aligns or collides. I have never been certain enough about the longevity of any word, phrase, or belief to tattoo it onto my body. However, I did wear a necklace pendant for maybe three years straight that said, to thine own self be true I like to think of that necklace having powers akin to Wonder Woman's groovy metal bracelets deflecting all that might steer me off the course of my greatest good and I am absolutely convinced that those words worked over my desk hangs a framed piece of art that my mother gave me maybe 20 years ago that says the act of writing is the art of discovering what you believe and David Hare wrote that Magnetized to the whiteboard I use to track my deadlines are two SARC cards that my friend Pam sent me. One reads, breathe, and the other, all your dreams are already coming true. Again, none of these are imprinted on my skin, but all are a part of my daily visual cues as I look up to seek poems from that vast, diaphanous place above my head where they materialize. Words can be like arrows focusing your attention in certain directions, and they can be like steering wheels, literally influencing the choices you make and actions you take. I encourage you to think and feel carefully about the words you keep close on your body, where you sleep, work, and live. Sooner or later, the words you see will become a part of your framework of belief. If Pat Benatar are the two words you need to keep in sight to remind you of your true north, then by all means, become one with a legendary rocker. Whatever it is you believe, or you'd like to believe, experiment with letting words be the current that can keep your circuits juiced with your own truth. Okay. So now, that if we were live, I would be um, asking a few questions, and so I will... Um, I will just talk about the observations that I, that I make when I meet with a group of people live. Uh, usually I ask, I ask to, for a show of hands about who is uh, currently writing poems, and depending on the nature of that particular group, there are a handful to a great many. And then I ask uh, who who would like to start writing poems, and generally a good number of folks in the room raise their hands. And then I ask... Um, I'm wondering how many people here once wrote poems but then got happy. And usually everybody laughs and pretty much everybody <laughs> raises their hands. And uh, this is uh, one, of the, one of my, uh, one of the points that I like to cover everywhere I go. Uh, we have this idea that poets need to be miserable and that if we are not unhappy, we don't have anything to write about. And so we may as well just Give up. And I I don't believe that's true. And I like to invite other people to consider alternatives as well. I think that what is true about unhappiness is that it gets our attention and that poems happen in the space of paying attention. So that it's not that we require pain to write poems, but that it's a natural starting place for many of us. And from that place, there are many, many ways to engage the poetry of our lives, and to cultivate that quality of paying attention. So for the past, for the past two years, uh, I guess more at this point, I have been asking myself, what does it mean to live and write a poetic life? And it's, for me it's boiled down to receptivity, that poetry is possible when we're receptive. And uh, Webster's Dictionary defines receptive as willing to accept, receive, and transmit stimuli. And receptivity for me is, is, is what the poetic state of mind is all about. When we have a practice of observing and feeling into and considering our lives and our world, this benefits us and our work because we don't just see things as they are, we see them as we are and I'm going to share a poem that I think illustrates this well. Uh, It's called The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention with your one wild and precious life. So I, I love this poem. I think this poem is a, is a wonderful antidote to uh, the idea that we need to be unhappy to write poems. And it reminds us that paying attention is, and enjoying ourselves as we do is really all that we need to inhabit a poetic state of mind. And it reminds me that poems invite us to be, and not do. And uh, I heard Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver came to Portland a number of years ago now, and she was chuckling about a review of her poetry, a, a, a nasty review of her poetry, uh, by someone who was who was not complaining about her poetry, but but who was um, inferring that. She must be extremely wealthy and live on a trust fund in order to have the time to lie down in the grass and slow down and consider nature to write her poems. And I, I love that story I love, uh, because it, it sort of it illuminates some of our cultural biases and misunderstanding about what wealth is. And for me, this poem from Mary Oliver reminds us what wealth is, that wealth, I mean, the, the reviewer was right, Mary Oliver does have great wealth, and her wealth is her knowledge that being with nature and slowing down to savor the experience and, and uh, contemplate it in writing is what wealth is all about, and that nobody needs a trust fund for that. All we need is a little grass, and uh, we can find that. All of us can find that somewhere. And if we can't find grass, we can find a little pavement that has something of interest to sit down with and contemplate. So, let's see. So today we're going to do some exercises that are all about paying attention, awakening our poetic sensibilities, and sourcing poems from that place. Another common misunderstanding that comes up a lot for me with students, and seems to come up for a lot of people who are facing the blank page of poetry, is this idea that their ordinary life is not interesting enough to write poems. And it was an idea that I held for many years, even as I was writing poems. Um, Sort of in parallel with my practice of writing poems, I thought, "I'm I'm just this boring uh, teenager in, in the suburbs with nothing out of the ordinary happening in my life, and yet I was drawn to write poems. And the truth is that lives, especially the lives that appear ordinary on the surface, are full of unnamed wildernesses that are waiting to be unearthed. And none of us, no poet is ever writing about anything new. It's all been written about before. But our job is to discover something new in our own lives and circumstances. So I am going to you've, – um, you've, you've heard one of my disappointment in love poems. I'm going to share a, uh, a satisfaction in love poem that's just, just an ordinary moment that, um, that moved from experience to poem just through paying attention. It's called Nagoon Berries. The thorn bush holds her secrets low to the ground. In the privacy of rain, we kneel together, heads bent to the berries. Lush with leaf and hush, our voices settle like fog among the unspoken as we stain and bruise ourselves with fruit. The earth drinks and drinks until it spills open and raw, like a prayer book, saturated with God's desire for humanity. We are a rhythm of choosing, crawling along the bloated field through necklaces of vine. The berries fall wide-eyed into our collecting cup. You carry that tender burden of severed fruit home. You stand over the stove Cooking sacrifice Down to sugar And uh, before we move into Doing some writing together I am going to share One of my favorite quotes It's on the back of my book Actually it's from It was spoken and written By Leonard Cohen Who I am not related to Uh, He's a wonderful songwriter If you're not familiar with him And poet Poetry is just the evidence of life. If your life is burning well, poetry is just the ash. So we're going to do a series of exercises together to, uh, my hope is that what you'll come away with is some kindling, some beginnings of work that you are excited about with some language, images, sounds, themes, something, that you know you're going to want to continue to develop uh, after our time together. And so I'll be coming at it in a few different ways to invite you into that process. Um, I just want to lay one ground rule, and that is that our goal is – for you to get writing in whatever way makes sense for you. So if you're writing and my prompts are designed to give you a range of possibilities for getting into that space, if you're writing and my prompts are in any way interfering with your flow, I cordially invite you to ignore them and to move with whatever, you, whatever tangent, whatever golden thread you, you start following. So the prompts are here for you if they are helpful, okay? Okay, so the the first exercise that we're going to do is a little free writing, and the free writing that we're going to do is going to, we're going to draw uh, from some of the language that we create together for a couple of the other exercises that follow. Um, Chapter 5 in writing The Life Poetic uh, describes my philosophy and approach and recommendations about free writing, but I'm going to very quickly say that for me in my own practice, free writing has been—it's uh, been my primary uh, training ground. It is—it is the practice that I do to keep myself open and receptive to poetry, to get outside of all of my all of the stuff all of my to get to escape my inner editor to um get outside of the things that i uh, my conscious mind is thinking and believing uh, natalie goldberg has two wonderful books that i read many years ago um wild mind and writing down the bones and they're they're beautiful companions for developing a free writing practice but i'll say uh, in a sentence or two i hope that the idea of free writing, if you're not familiar with it, is what distinguishes it from journal writing, for example, is that our goal is to actually get around thinking something and writing it down, or analyzing something and writing it down. So we're not saying, oh my god, I can't believe my mother did that again. It reminds me of the last time she did that and and what I decided about it. We're we're kind of getting into, we're trying to get underneath the things that we are in the habit of thinking about. And the idea is you put your pen to the paper and you don't stop moving. So the the process of sort of automatically keeping the hand moving, and this is one that I think handwriting w- works even better than than typing at a computer, because there's something about the physical act of writing and being in motion with, with your hand to To sort of serve up the the unconscious in a way that that can be more that can be surprising, that can be freer. The idea is to free ourselves up in our writing. Where we don't we're not trying to be to impress anybody here. We're just I, I think of free writing as like weightlifting or jogging. It's a way of sort of keeping ourselves in condition to. Um, to access the language and imagery and music that that wants to come through us. So hopefully that is enough information for you if free writing is something that is not familiar to you. And to get folks started, you can begin a free writing anyway. Uh, a lot of times a lot of times folks uh, like to start with some kind of prompt to give them some direction. So I am going to offer uh, this, is from page, this is from page 158 in Writing Life Poetic. There, um, I suggest that you look to, um, to the titles of poems to get a poem started. And so I'm going to offer some of these names just as prompts, and I'm going to also include the name of the poet who wrote them. And whatever language sounds exciting to you, uh, go with it as your starting place for your free writing. And, um, Nyla, I'm not sure. This may be a good time to start the music and and try it in the background of the prompts, or we can wait until the prompts are finished.
1: We'll go ahead and give the prompts, and then we'll put the music on.
3: Okay, perfect. Okay, so here are some poetry titles to get you going, poetry book titles. Pity the Bathtub, Its Forced Embrace of the Human Form by Matea Harvey. What Do Women Want, by Kim Adonisio. More and More, I Am Vladimir, by Walid Bitar. The Zero at the Bone, by Karen Holmberg. Sunday Morning, by Wallace Stevens. Monet Refuses the Operation, by Lisa Mueller. What the Angels Left, by Marie Howe. For Semra with martial vigor by Raymond Carver Horses and the Human Soul by Judith Barrington Key to the Highway by Mark Halliday The Days Run Away Like Wild Horses Over the Hills Charles Bukowski Glass Bottom Boat Herman Acernau. Bride and Groom Lie Hidden for Three Days by Ted Hughes. Ladies and Gentlemen in Outer Space by Ron Padgett. The Blue Bowl by Jane Kenyon. And just two more. Where No One Stays a Statue by Mark Nepo. And finally, May the generations die in the right order, by Penelope Scambly Shot. I think this would be a good time for um, for some music. I and to uh, give folks a little bit of time to uh, to let themselves free with their free writing.
1: Okay, now I'm going to start the music And I have not done this before So I hope it does not overpower us So we're going to go ahead and give this <laughs> a try It's about a three-minute music bed So that gives us three minutes to chat a little bit So. Okay Oh, look It sounds pretty Yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: awesome. that's great Okay Very nice. So while they're messing around with their pens I wanted to ask you real quick um, yeah. What is Well, first of all how do you juggle your family kids your job and everything else that you're involved in and still find time to write how do you face that
3: challenge I'm writing a chapter about this in the productive writer and I'm hoping it's going to teach me how Um, (laughs) I uh, well I work from home I for the past 13 years I have been a marketing communications consultant which basically means that I write copy for, for businesses that's been my day job and I look at that as part of my creative process. i um, uh, the money from that fuels all the money. it gives me the space and opportunity to do all of the other writing that I love to do. And it keeps me sharp with my writing. And uh, yeah, I have a year and a half year old, and the way my life works now, uh, we have he is cared for in my home for about 20 hours a week during that time I do a lot of my business writing and then my husband and I juggle juggle the rest we take turns um, caring for my son and he has started sleeping at the lovely hour of 6pm at which point um, often I write for, for the rest of the night until my bedtime so it's it's kind of a collage of of different times Uh, I know a lot of people write well in the morning but I actually my most creative time is from about 4 p.m. to midnight so it works well for me to have to have evenings if I need them a lot of the a lot of my book writing work happens in the evenings and on the weekends kind of in the margins of the paid business writing but it's a constant It's a constant um, juggling act and exploration into what's possible. When will I write best? When can I? When when am I? When is my time best served with my son? What what do the clients get in terms of time and energy? And how do I keep everything kind of afloat and moving forward? And I have a lot of calendars. (laughs) I think that's the secret: calendars. (laughs) <laughs> what do you do if you're
1: in the middle of feeding the baby, your husband wants dinner, the jobs on the phone and an idea comes to you?
3: <laughs> oh, well, I have I keep stashes of index card blank index cards everywhere. They're at my desk, they're next to my bed, they're in the kitchen, they're in my dog walking purse, they're they're everywhere. So there's always something to write to write an idea down on. And um that that looks really well for me. Uh, the other I heard a great story that uh, that Elizabeth Gilbert told recently. I think she ta- I think she talked about this on her TED Talk. She talked about Tom Waits and his relationship with his muse and how he was uh, completely tormented about ideas showing up all the time, ta- feeling enslaved to ideas showing up when mm-hmm. he wasn't prepared to receive them and that he had this revelation one day. He was driving on the freeway in L.A., and, and a, a musical phrase appeared. And he finally kind of set a limit with his muse and said, can you not see that I'm driving? You know, if, it's really, if this is really important, come back later when I'm ready for you. And if not, you know, go bother Leonard Cohen. Who I love, by the way. (laughs) I love Leonard Cohen too, and I love that everybody thinks I'm related to him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, our music bed's over. That means it's back to workshop time. So put your pencils and pens down, poets. And and, uh, remember that once this show's over, you can go back to the archive and listen to it again and let it all absorb in well. And take up your writing prompts, pause the show when the music starts right, and then start it back up again when you're done writing. And that's the way we have this set up tonight. So, Sage, if you would like to start again?
3: Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to read you another poem that is going to guide us into, that's going to set us up for our next exercise. And if you are unfamiliar with this poem, and I told you that we were going to read a poem that was about a notebook, a spiral notebook, and a man holding it, it might not really grab your attention, and that's why I like to share this poem, because it, it sort of takes us from the realm of the ordinary into a, into a very different place. It is on page 14 of Writing Life Poetic. It's called A Spiral Notebook, and it is by Ted Kooser. The bright wire rolls like a porpoise in and out of the calm blue sea of the cover, or perhaps like a sleeper twisting in and out of his dreams, for it could hold a record of dreams if you wanted to buy it for that. Though it seems to be meant for more serious work, with its college-ruled lines and its cover that states in emphatic white letters, five-subject notebook. It seems a part of growing old is no longer to have five subjects, each demanding an equal share of attention set apart by brown cardboard dividers, but instead to stand in a drugstore and hang on to one subject a little too long, like this notebook you weigh in your hands, passing your fingers over its surfaces as if it were some kind of wonder. I, I love how this poem takes something absolutely ordinary and makes it transcendent. Uh, a man standing in a pharmacy becomes a meditation on old age. And I think that, that is the incredible alchemy of poetry, is that we bring to our world ourselves. And through the lens of our own listening, and, and observing, and feeling, and associating, we end up somewhere that we don't expect, and that we would not likely ever get to without the vehicle of the poem to take us there. So I'm going to do a, a little exercise inspired by our friend Ted Kooser, by this poem. I'm going to give a series of prompts, and then we'll have a little music following the prompts to give you some time to get those first little pieces of kindling together for for this fire. And here come the prompts. Write down three places you go to regularly in the course of your day or week. Make a list of five everyday objects you might see in each of these places the first ones that come to your mind. I'm going quickly because we're on the radio. Normally in real life, I'd give you a little bit of space, so if you have the opportunity to go back and listen at your, at your own pace so you have time to actually write some of this down, that might, that might be helpful. I apologize for kind of speeding through these. If each of these objects, these five objects that you just wrote down, were an animal, what would they be? And I really encourage you not to be logical here. and Just write whatever comes first when assigning animals to these objects. Circle five words or phrases that interest you from your free write. Write down five things you believe. And they don't have to be five things that you literally believe. They don't have to be true. Um... Write down three questions that you have. And think of Mary Oliver's questions from her poem that we read a few minutes ago. And then when you, have, when you have all of these notes, circle one thing, at least one thing from each list, whatever appeals to you, whatever word or phrase appeals to you most from each of these lists. Don't think too hard. Just grab whatever, whatever calls out to you. And then work with this list. Weave it together into a poem and see where it leads you. And Naila, I think this would be a good time for a little music. Okay.
1: Start the music bed again. And I have another question for you. Okay. How did you get started writing? When? What is your earliest memory of writing? What made you start writing? What happened?
3: You know, it's... It took me a very long time to have any self-consciousness about the fact that I actually was writing. It's kind of a strange thing. It was so much, uh, so much my way of making sense of my life that uh, I've always, I've always done it. Uh, I think pretty much from the time that I was able to write, it became my way. Um, I, I started, I started. Vigorously trying to make sense of what poetry was and how to do it at a poetry in particular uh, at about age 14 and I didn't I wasn't doing it in any kind of I was doing it alone by myself sort of secretly and Didn't have any kind of Context for for learning outside of just reading poetry and trying it myself And it was about a decade later that it finally occurred to me. I was I think 23 And I I just had this aha moment where I said, wow, I write poems every day. I wonder if I'm a poet. (laughs) And, you know, it sounds really goofy, but I just, I didn't, I didn't have any sort of external ambition with it. It just, I had, I had a lot of drive to do it and to do it well, but just, just for the satisfaction of doing it. And so it never occurred to me to think about myself kind of from the outside and kind of what, that, uh, that I might actually be a poet. So it was a long, slow, <laughs> slow process of identifying that way. And even after attending graduate school, I, I often would forget. It, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. It, it, it took me a very long time to kind of come forward and, and claim it for myself and start to take my training I guess I always took it seriously, but to, um, to honor it, to get some formal academic training and to continue to learn and to continue to build community in ways that have nourished me throughout my adult life. Did I answer you always, your question?
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you always been supportive as, supportive as a writer, or did you ever find challenges with that? Supported
3: by, by other people? Mm-hmm you know I I never I don't think I ever really needed it because my pro, my own process was so internal I don't it didn't matter. I think one of the things that was really strange for me actually was when I I I was um given a a, a fellowship to to attend NYU and suddenly because the external world had validated me in that way suddenly people who who had known me for a very long time and knew that I loved to write suddenly said, oh, you must be good. You know, somebody has said some, you know, some or institution has said that you're good. And it was a little confused. It was kind of disorienting for me that, that, uh, that people's view of me was um, so dependent on sort of getting a stamp of approval from outside, from the outside. But I, I think that, one of the absolute most important things to me in this chapter of my life is is the community of writers that I have here in portland and and at this point kind of around around the world, but it's developed very slowly the the community and there the the feeling of possibility that comes in from knowing other people who are doing what I'm doing who care about what i care about who are having various successes doing it learning from them about how they do it well and sharing our delight is is such an important part in in this chapter of life for me and it's something that i always encourage people to explore for themselves a lot of writers say i'm you know i'm alone or i don't do that and Online communities like this one that you are cultivating, it it doesn't need to be people where you live. Not everybody has access to people who write where they live. But there's so many ways today to connect with other people who care about what we care about. And so much more seems possible to me every time I do.
1: Oh, I could not agree more.
3: The music bed is over, so that means it's time to get
1: back to the workshop. So I just want to remind everybody, if you didn't have time to finish your prompt or you would missed part of it, you can go back in the archive and listen to the show again when you hear the music start. Pause the show, do your writing, and then start it up back at your leisure. I want to remind everybody, you're listening to the Inkwell, brought to you by the Speakeasy Cafe Open Mic Poetry Show. And Sage Cohen is our guest, running the Writing the Life Poetic Workshop.
3: And Sage, if you'd like to continue... I would. I'm going to um, share another poem that will lead us into our next exercise. It is a William Stafford poem, and for folks who are not in the Portland area and who may not be familiar with William Stafford, I, I encourage you to to check him out. He is he is one of our great teachers and wise people not just in poetry, but in the integration of his life with his poetry, the humbleness, the, the clarity of, of being, uh, and the, the peacefulness, the um, sort of moral fortitude. He, he's one of my favorites. And every time I come across a poet who, who, is, who seems so well integrated with who they are and how they write, I I like to encourage people to check them out for themselves. So William Stafford, this this poem is titled From the Wild People. Time used to live here. It likes to find places like this and then leave so quietly that nothing wakes up. Whenever a rock finds what it likes, it hardly ever changes. Oh, rain can persuade it, or maybe a river out looking around, but that's the exception. They say there was a time when rocks liked to dance. You can see where that happened, great piles of old partners that got tired of each other. Now and then one stirs when nobody is looking. Then it stops and looks away, humming a little tune. In the mountains, you can see those nonchalant rocks. Some of them should have stopped sooner. They're haggard old wrecks, friendless, and often just slumped around wherever they fell. And I I chose this poem because I think a really fun and satisfying and surprising way into poetry is to get outside of our literal selves and our literal, literal experience and to just invent something, to, to approach our world in, uh, in a sort of a strange and unexpected way. And I think Stafford does this well in this poem. And we're going to – I'm going to offer a series of prompts now. Again, this is going to move quickly. And following this series of prompts, you'll have a little time to write. So look around you, wherever you are, and you may want to grab something for. I, w- I want you to choose an object, one that you see, one that pops into your head. Uh, it doesn't need to be anything fancy, but whatever whatever it is that um, that calls to you, right now, write it down and we're going to consider this object from a variety of different points of view so what what kinds of shoes does this object wear what does it eat for breakfast or dessert where does it live who are its friends how does it sleep Where does it go on vacation? Who is its big brother? What is its middle name? How does it sing? What does it taste like? Who does it love? What does it want you to know? What did it borrow? What country, state, or neighborhood does it live in? What does it believe? Who is its favorite movie star? What kind of music does it listen to? What do you admire about this object? What do you hate about it? Who in your family does this object remind you of? What grade is it in school? What does it dream about? Who would this object vote for as president? And what does it want to be when it grows up? Where does it belong? And where doesn't it belong? Who is its best friend? And what does it do when no one is looking? Okay, Nyla, I think it's time for music.
1: That's pretty awesome, writing that about an inanimate object. It's fun, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) It is. I'm looking around the room and all I can see is quill pens and journals. (laughs) okay let's start up the music and I have another question for you okay one of the things i wanted to ask you is how his writing molded who you are as a person and what kind of responsibilities do you feel come as or come from being a writer hmm. how does how does being
3: a writer define you as a person I think You know, at this point, I'm not sure how I would know what I think if I didn't write. I, I feel like I need, I need that, I need the process of writing to digest my experience and to sort of frame it for myself. So a lot of the forgiveness and making peace that I do with what is hard for me sort of gets processed through the machine of my writing and sort of arrives at a at a place of acceptance, um, that's been one of the most important vehicles, uh, the most, one of the most important things for me about my relationship with writing. Um, it also, I've been thinking about this, um, for the, for the first probably 14 months of my son's life. He, he slept, uh, he woke up every two to three hours around the clock. And those nighttime hours as the months wore on became very, very hard for me. And I became aware of sort of the training, the training that I had, almost the the spiritual discipline that I had from my writing practice of working with what was hard and just knowing enough to,
0: uh,
3: shift from the place of whatever my mind was saying, whatever noise my mind had about how hard it was to be so exhausted all the time and to be waking up and to be in service to my beautiful baby, was to just pay attention, was to show up and just really witness, really be there for each moment, um, especially the hard ones. And to move from being uncomfortable to just sort of being, being there, to paying attention. And I, I think that that's, that is a profound thing that, that writing has, that I have trained myself to in writing and that writing has, has gifted me, is the knowledge that I can sort of be with anything that life brings and show up for it and be neutral, and give service as as is necessary. And I can't remember if that answered, I, I don't know if that addressed your whole question. I can. <laughs> I'm lost in my own That's train okay. of thought. That's okay. I, I can always
1: ask him again. Okay. <laughs> that was incredible. I appreciate so much you sharing and uh, letting me get a little bit of per- little personal with you during the workshop, and, yeah. and I know that the the writers are enjoying that. I'm watching the chat room. Yeah, I know that you're not in there because I told you you couldn't be as cute <laughs> as for you while you're trying to talk, but um, they're showing you lots of love in there, and I'm Aww. absolutely thrilled that we're doing this. So I want to thank everybody again for being here and you're listening to the Inkwell, brought to you by the Speakeasy Cafe Open My Poetry Show. I want to thank Debbie Philly, who is a staff member for the Speakeasy, for being in the chat room and helping me take care of that, because it's kind of hard for me to be in there today, too. Wow, you're busy. You've got lots, <laughs> lots of here. <laughs> Multitasking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now it's time to get back to the workshop, so Sage, if you'd like to continue.
3: I would. I am going to read a third poem, well, a third poem specifically for the purposes of, of, uh, of us writing together. It is called Snow, Aldo. I'm just I'm, I'm pointing out how it's punctuated so you can understand how, what I'm saying. Snow, Aldo. And it is by Kate DiCamillo.
0: Okay.
3: Once I was in New York in Central Park, and I saw an old man in a black overcoat walking a black dog. This was springtime, and the trees were still bare, and the sky was gray and low, and it began suddenly to snow. Big, fat flakes that twirled and landed on the black of the man's overcoat and the black dog's fur The dog lifted his face and stared up at the sky. The man looked up, too. Snow, Aldo, he said to the dog. Snow. And he laughed. The dog looked at him and wagged his tail. If I was in charge of making snow globes, this is what I would put inside. The old man in the black overcoat the black dog, two friends with their faces turned up to the sky as if they were receiving a blessing, as if they were being blessed together by something as simple as snow in March. I've read this poem so many times in front of people, and every time I almost lose it. (laughs) And it's a... you know it's such a simple, straightforward poem, and it really it really touches me, and it seems to touch other people and that's why I like to share it uh, to just as as a little reminder of how much power there can be in just simply observing something and and giving it back in a clear way, so that others can can have an echo of that original experience. There's really Really, nothing too fancy happening in this poem in terms of um, figurative imagery. It's a it's a pretty straightforward, literal kind of narrative, and and uh, this reader finds it very moving, and that's that's why I chose chose this poem to share for this exercise. And I'm going to move to some prompts from here. Okay. I'm going to ask you to refer back to the free writing that we did together, or free writing that you have from some other occasion, or some other piece of writing that you have handy, yours or someone else's, and just circle three words or phrases that you like that appeal to you. And from there, I'd like you to name a season, and then Name a city or town that this season conjures for you. And again, with all of these prompts, I, I, I encourage you not to really, not to think too hard. To get to let yourself be loose and to just uh, capture what comes quickly, without without doing too much thinking or strategizing. So we have we have a season, a city or town that this season conjures for you. Write down the name of a specific public place in the city or or town or place where you have spent time. What does the place look like? What colors do you see? What people? What plants or trees? Or, as my lovely son would say, what, what choo choo trains do you see? What is the weather doing? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What do you hear there? Is there a particular memory that surfaces when you think of this place? Is there, is there an event that still resonates with you today? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be an important event, but it should be one that, that is vivid in some way, that is, that is in your recall for whatever reason it is and once you have that memory in your sights name a person or animal or a thing something specific from that memory what does some of the, some of the questions from from the previous exercise could be useful as you're playing with this what does he or she look like how is that person dressed? What are what are they doing? And how do you feel about it? What what does it mean to you? What would you like to remember from this scene? And what would you like to forget? How do you how do you feel about this memory, this string of associations that have come up through this particular path of questioning. If you could choose three objects that somehow signify this memory or this moment, what would they be? And again, I I want to invite you to not worry about making too much sense and to to even opt out of trying to, we're not trying to make sense, we're trying to just kind of be loose and associative. And then when you when you've finished writing these notes, look through it all and kind of circle or underline, just kind of feel out what seems to want to hold together. Which which sight which, which images and which sounds which parts of it want Feel, feel like they are calling to each other and follow those and invite those to be the beginning of a poem for you and Nyla let's have a little music for folks to explore this a little bit okay wonderful
1: and I have another question for you okay what I would like to find out is where does most what do you find what things do you find most inspiring to you? If you're going through the course of your day and all of a sudden, say, you walk past a bakery and there's fresh, fresh baked bread, and, <laughs> you know, what is it, or, or music or whatever, what is it that you find most inspiring for you and why? Well,
3: I think it's, it's more of um, what I'm Doing than what it is that's inspiring. If I'm moving around outside, that's a big. It's not so much about what the stimulus is around me outside, but um, it's just kind of what happens for me as I get loose and open, and and words and images start coming through. And any type of kind of uh, any type of physical movement that is routine, like washing dishes, hiking, biking, dancing. Uh, drumming, uh, something that that kind of keeps me busy and ocu- keeps some part of me busy and occupied, liberates some other part of myself to start collecting poetic data. Um, I also, I, I take a, a bath every night. That's kind of my my spiritual practice. And a lot <laughs> Don't of, get me uh, started on the bath. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of poetry seems to be waiting for me there. So it's more like figuring out how to show up for where poetry is. Uh, that that seems to be what works for me, a- and to be prepared for what comes. You know, to respect what comes with being ready to to write it down. Um, yeah, I think, I think I think that sums it up. There, for a long period, writing about for a long time in my life, trying to. To make sense of relationships was a, was a big theme for me and that, that's not so much anymore. So now it's just, uh, I think the primary practice for me is just looking to, holding the intention of being surprised and delighted and seeing what enters that space. When the waitress made that comment to my son that, that brought that, that, that called that other poem forward. Just, just sort of being being ready to be surprised and delighted and and uh, to not take those moments for granted. That's a
1: wonderful answer. I am so looking forward to you when when you join us again on the 30th <laughs> and we get to have people call in and do a question answer and I I really get to pick your brain more because fun seriously hard for me to keep my mouth shut if you knew me you would
0: understand
1: <laughs> knew me better you'd understand
0: <laughs> cuz i just oh, want to ask I think you I, everything yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay now back to the workshop <clears throat> okay <clears throat> excuse me i'm going to clear my throat for a moment here <clears throat> okay so i'm going to going to pan out for a moment and get a little bit philosophical before we get back to our writing so what I believe and what I hope we're all experiencing together here in our in our writing spaces, where we all are individually doing our thing and collectively contemplating poetry, is that when you approach life in a receptive, when you get in, when you figure out whatever it is for you that lets you uh, be receptive to poetry, and when we welcome experience in a poetic state of mind that we can find a moment of grace in any life circumstance. So the next time you feel discomfort, poetry can help you find some place to go with it. And the next time you are feeling that incredibly uncomfortable itch, poetry can help you enjoy, you know, you can enjoy scratching it by entering, it, entering the space of poetry. The next time you experience impatience, you can transform it into interest. The next time you find yourself really angry, you can dig deeper and find the awe underneath. I think those are some of the most interesting opportunities of poetry. is like a, a, a mode of transport from one place to the next. And I'm going to share with you. Uh, this is on page 57 from my from Writing the Life Poetic. It's a Sharon Olds poem. It's a somewhat uncomfortable poem. Uh, It's a poem that takes takes a a, a really difficult memory and, and brings it someplace else through the journey of the poem to a moment of grace. It's called The Elder Sister by Sharon Olds. When I look at my elder sister now, I think how she had to go first, down through the birth canal, to force her way, head first, the tiny channel, the pressure of mother's muscles on her brain, the tight walls scraping her skin. Her face is still narrow from it, the long, hollow cheeks of a crusader on a tomb, and her inky eyes have the look of someone who has been in prison a long time and knows they can send her back. I look at her body and think how her breasts were the first to rise slowly, like swans on a pond. By the time mine came along, they were just two more birds in the flock. And when the hair rose on the white mound of her flesh, like threads of water out of the ground, it was the first time. But when mine came, they knew about it. I used to think only in terms of her harshness, sitting and pissing on me in bed, But now, I see I had her before me always, like a shield. I look at her wrinkles, her clenched jaws, her frown lines. I see they are the dents on my shield, the blows that did not reach me. She protected me, not as a mother protects a child, with love, but as a hostage protects the one who makes her escape as I made my escape with my sister's body held in front of me. <sighs> so I offer that poem just as an invitation into what is what is possible for transmitting transmuting from creating a kind of alchemy from something that was out of our hands and really difficult to something that we get to shape in terms of our understanding and appreciation uh, and gratitude for what that, what that difficult experience gave us ultimately. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, uh, along these lines, I have another, another poem to share. It's on page 79 of Writing Life Poetic. It's called Failing and Flying by Jack Gilbert. This is one of my favorites. Jack Gilbert is a poet who I just adore and encourage you to check out if you're not familiar with him. Failing and Flying. Everyone forgets that Icarus also flew. It's the same when love comes to an end or the marriage fails and people say they knew it was a mistake, that everybody said it would never work that she was old enough to know better. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly, like being there by that summer ocean on the other side of the island while love was fading out of her, the stars burning so extravagantly those nights that anyone could tell you they would never last. Every morning she was asleep in my bed like a visitation, The gentleness in her like antelope standing in the dawn mist. Each afternoon I watched her coming back through the hot stony field after swimming, the sea light behind her and the huge sky on the other side of that. Listen to her while we ate lunch. How can they say the marriage failed? Like the people who came back from Provence when it was Provence, and said, it was pretty, but the food was greasy. I believe Icarus was not failing as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. Ah, and I, I I share this poem for, for a number of reasons. I love the line, I love I love it all, but I especially want to call out the line, anything... It's actually spread over a couple of lines. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly. I think that is that is profound wisdom for all of us. All of us who love poetry and write poetry are going to write it badly our whole lives and have those little moments of synthesis and magic where something comes together and our our original impulse and our revision kind of all coalesces into something magnificent and that will always live alongside all of those poems that that don't work and may not ever work and to remember that there is beauty and delight in in all of it and that the way we frame it is going to is going to shape how we live with what we're doing and what we're writing and that how we choose to interpret uh, anything in life, including how we write our poems, how we li- how we shape our relationships, how we hold our memories, is kind of up to us. And that poetry is the lens that we have for for making that frame around our ideas and our experiences. So, so for me, poetry lives on that edge where comfort and discomfort meet. And it is that very subtle precipice where the known meets the undiscovered. And all that any of us need to do is experiment a little, be a little curious, and then pay close attention to what happens next. So whatever it is that we're facing, if it's, a, if it's what we believe to be a failed relationship, a death, a disappointment, we have two really powerful possibilities in the realm of poetry. We can write about it, or we can read someone else's poem about it. And uh, both, both are really satisfying paths, if we choose them. I'm going to change direction a little bit thematically here. Um, one of the very most common challenges for people. So we're talking a sort of high level what's possible in poetry and a, a more practical and pragmatic issue for everybody who writes poetry since, you know, poetry is, is not a day job. It does not, for many of us, um, pay the bills. So, so how, do we, how do we create a, a space for poetry in our lives? How do, we, how do we make more time for it? How do we prioritize it? How do we hold it as sacred? And I'm going to share the the beginning, the brief beginning of uh, chapter 55 in writing the poetic, uh, uh, writing the life poetic. It's called this chapter is titled "The Art of All Day," and it starts with a quote uh, by Christina Katz: "People don't have time management issues; they have determination issues." And let's see. Okay. In an interview, the fiction writer Grace Paley was once asked, you're a mother, a wife, a writer, a teacher, an activist. How do you have the time to do it all? To which Grace responded, well, I have all day. And if you're familiar with Grace Paley's writing, it's just it's so characteristic of, of her. I, I just love that quote. And this little snippet of dialogue has come to represent what an entire month worth of silence taught me a few years ago I had an experience that turned my sense of time inside out I spent the month of January at Soapstone a writing retreat for women on the Oregon coast my days at Soapstone were a rhythm of nothing and everything hauling wood in a wheelbarrow maintaining the wood stove cooking and eating writing reading and sleeping outside the daily press of deadlines and traffic to-do lists and to-call lists, I got wet. It poured daily. I got quiet. I became green with breathed in earth and trees. Sleeping beside the raging creek, the container of self I arrived within was shaken loose, broken open. On the writing retreat, I retrained myself to the truth that spaciousness is a choice. With 26 consecutive all-days that belonged to me, I started to wonder, what am I so busy doing all day at home that I think I don't have time to read, don't have time to talk to my neighbors, don't have time to really focus on petting my cat when he makes a spontaneous appearance in my lap? It became difficult to remember what's so much more important than being present in my life. I understood for the first time that I have all day, every day, if that's how I choose to live it. So, uh, following that are a, a number of tips for. Not, you don't need to go on a month-long writing retreat to remember that you have all day, and there's several exercise recommended or exercises recommended after that for kind of cultivating that state of mind. But it, it's. I invite you to remember that <clears throat> we all have. We all have the same amount of time. we all we all get twenty four hours in a day, and we all get to choose what we do with those hours. so if you're if you're convinced that you don't have time for poetry or it's something that you struggle with, I invite you to take a step back and start really paying attention to what you're doing with your time and whether what you're doing is in line with what you value. Um, it may be that, um, I think I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm writing about that quite a bit in The Productive Writer. and uh, it, Late in this year, you can get more ideas about time and creating a relationship with time that makes lots of space for whatever writing you want to prioritize. So, <clears throat> give me a second to clear my throat again. So how... How does one cultivate receptivity? My my theory, what has worked for me and what I have seen work for others is that we need to really respect what it is that we are given. To invite and attract our key themes, to welcome them when they come and to not rule them out as unimportant or or stupid, or whatever the things are that we tell ourselves about what comes. And it's, it, can be a tricky, it can be a tricky business, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I believe that every, every one of us has a swarm of poems right this minute flitting around our heads waiting to land, and they're trying to figure out how to penetrate our force field. And that often we don't know how many ideas are already flowing through us that are already right there for us until we start writing them down and so i'm gonna offer i have a chapter six is called poetic Pheromones, and it's has a lit it sort of guides you through a process of attracting your true subjects and offers an in-depth list for sort of exploring what those might be and i am going to to walk you through that list right now and this is again this is designed to be fun and to just kind of see what comes up. It's a random, strange list of questions designed to, uh, you know, just kind of get you exploring things that may not, may not be at the top of your list for things that you want to write poems about or things that you want to write about at all, but just, just to see what you think about these and see if there are any subjects or themes that, that come up for you that you might not be aware of at this moment as we're thinking about it. So I'm going to share a handful of prompts, questions, and then, again, we'll give you a little bit of time to write about those. Okay, get your pens ready. And, again, I'm going to move through these quickly and invite you to revisit these later at your leisure if you are so inclined. How do you like your eggs? I'm thinking, actually, that some of these are sort of first date questions. So let's pretend we're having a poetry first date, okay? Except that um, you don't actually have to ever reveal any of this to me. What did you dream about last night? Actually, it's more of a first date with yourself. What is most embarrassing or impressive about your family? Or maybe not even most embarrassing, but just what comes to mind some little notable story or scenario that's in the family lore. What did someone tell you about yourself in elementary school that you still believe? Which of the seven dwarves would you be? And you know, feel free to feel free to substitute whatever fairy tale character you identify with. You don't need to limit yourself to the dwarves if, uh, if the uh, Cinderella or the evil stepmother are are calling to you. What's the one mistake you swore you'd never admit to anyone? What book do you wish you'd written yourself, or what book will you write? What texture makes you want to curl up inside it and take a nap? Which celebrity or movie character do you most resemble in appearance, philosophy, or approach to life? What would you be doing right now if you weren't doing this? What types of information do you retain flawlessly and effortlessly? What time period in history most intrigues you? Who have you not forgiven? If you were a dog, what breed might you be? Or if you feel that you would never be a dog, what animal might you be? My son is pretty impressed with ducks right now. What topics do your friends come to you for advice about? Did you have a special hideout or safe place as a child? What was it like? Why did you go there? What type of natural scenery most moves you? What is your favorite dessert? What do you believe about love? Which neighborhood, city, state, or country is most significant to you? What makes you laugh the loudest? What color makes you cringe? Which element are you most drawn to? Earth, water, metal, wood, or fire? Name one of your heroes. What is your most vivid childhood memory? What is your favorite time of day and why? Who do you want to be when you grow up? I had someone answer this question when I, when I share these questions. I'm sorry, that, that was the last question. And, Nyla, I'm realizing we don't need a mu- music for this because that, that was the exercise, and we can, I'm just going to move on. But I want to say that someone um, in one of my workshops, when I asked who do you want to be when you grow up, she had written down uh, myself myself. And kind of burst into tears and had this really interesting revelation through this through this series of exercises about kind of what she what she wanted her where she wanted her writing to take her and that that it was this kind of a journey of authenticity and it's always it's always so satisfying to I, I hope that I hope that um, if and when you answer these questions for yourselves, uh, I'd love to hear about what you come up with, and maybe, maybe you're talking with Nyla about them right now. I, I don't have visibility into that, but the surprises are, are so much fun when we kind of let ourselves be led by prompts of any kind. And um, I invite you, if these questions do appeal to you, you may want to return to them over time, if you get stuck, if you're facing the blank page and you're not sure where to go, because you may different themes may emerge for you over time, and uh, it's a nice way to just kind of return to yourself and start exploring. okay, let's see where I am here so so whatever it is, whatever it is that you feel is uh, Asking for your attention in poems, I just want to invite you to listen and respect and give it. Give give poetry to what is asking for for poetry. It's very tempting to write off certain topics as not worthy of poetry, and we, we maybe have the sense that we want to impress somebody or write a poem that was as good as whatever it is that we are holding as our ideal. But I argue, I, I suggest that the truth is that it doesn't really matter much what we decide we want to write. It's generally we are chosen by our poems and our themes and to allow those to come through us will will give us so much more, will give our writing so much more life and give us so much more to work with. And you know, after five or ten or Twenty years or so, whatever it is that you <laughs> you don't think is worthy will have written itself through you, and you can move on to other things. Um, okay, so I'm gonna so so we just we just came up with this list, this this poetic pheromones list of questions about uh, about who you are and what you might be interested in. And I'm not going to actually share the exercises from the next chapter that that follows this one in the book, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. So once we've identified kind of a list of possibilities, the next step is to consider how we want to think about something from the list. And I'm going to just explain what I, what I mean by that a little bit and, and articulate a, a process that, that works for me that, hope, that I hope will be interesting to you. So Wallace Stevens has a famous poem titled 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. And the poem ha- includes 13 numbered stanzas. And each stanza portrays the blackbird in a, in a different light. So we get 13 different frames, or 13 different little poems. And I think of this poem as being a poem about blackbirds, but also being a poem about poetry. And what it reminds me is that the writing of poetry is about discovering ways of looking, and it gives us the opportunity to slow down and really pay attention. And as we practice looking and practice writing that is informed by that looking, we start to notice patterns about the ways that we look or the things that we look for. So while studying a blackbird, for example, you may uncover your own thirst for flight, or your biases about the color black. Or you may look up and see the strange shape of buildings and trees against the sky as you're looking for that blackbird. Or maybe the blackbird rearranging its wings re- reminds you of your grandfather coming in from the cold and shaking snow from his long black overcoat. So my so my point is that, uh, and evidently my dog Henry has a point too, sorry if you mm-hmm. hear that barking. Um, my point is that as we, as we consider the blackbird carefully, the closer we look at this blackbird, the more we unveil or tap into our own cosmology for blackbird and start seeing and imagining and thinking about all kinds of things that are in some way related. So let's say each of us right now starts a poem that begins with a blackbird, with us asking ourselves all kinds of questions about what a blackbird means to us. And this is actually a list that I will um, happily send you after this workshop is over, if you're interested. We'll talk about that at the end. Um, So a poem that starts with a study of a blackbird can end up, of course, as we all know, having nothing to do with blackbirds at all. Instead, one of us might engage with the grandfather image and then end up writing a poem about the lineage of men in his family. And so this is a way that looking becomes a kind of portal in writing poetry. And very often the subject or object that we're studying is the point of entry rather than the definitive endpoint of the poem. So if we kind of hold whatever it is that we're contemplating in in that space of respect and possibility um, of where might this take me, what is it about whatever it is that i am contemplating in this poem what does it have to teach me about me about the universal human experience where where does it where is it going to what does it have to to share with me <clears throat> okay so that leads me to my conclusion sort of almost and my invitation that we think of our poems as the one place where we are allowed, well, they don't have to be the one place, but, but they are an important place to the, where we get to be allowed to be exactly who we are. Because if we're faking it, our poems will know it, and they'll rebel like you wouldn't believe. And this is, this is kind of what keeps the channel open. And years ago, I think at my very first poetry reading, uh, a teacher of mine at the time introduced me, and he introduced me as a poet who who writes about love, which I found at that time in my life really humiliating. It was not what I wanted to be identified as. I thought I I should be writing about far more important or interesting things than that. And shortly thereafter, I discovered Sharon Olds, who... Who entered the poetry scene writing a particular type of poem that that really stirred people up and was questioned as legitimate and was kind of a new way of writing about family, a mother writing about her children. And I thought, what if what if Sharon Olds, who has been so important to me as a teacher, what if she had decided that her somewhat unprecedented subject matter was not worthy and hadn't and had turned away from poetry or turned away from those poems. And what what would the world, what would poetry be like? What would my life be like if she hadn't claimed what came for her? And it it really kind of turned my sails into the wind of just accepting (laughs) what it was that poetry was asking of me. And I made a commitment to write about whatever came through, no matter how illegitimate it might seem. And uh, this changed my poetry. My poetry gained a whole new momentum, and I had a a whole new confidence in myself and my work as a result. And I'm going to read a little section from Writing the Life Poetic. Uh, It's chapter 44. It's titled, On Becoming Real. And it starts with an excerpt from The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams. And I will start with the the excerpt. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It is a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in your joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to the people who don't understand. Okay, and I'll move from the quote to the chapter. When I'm not writing poems, I'm writing marketing content. That's my day job. For the past 10-plus years, I've made my living primarily by aligning business and consumer interests through strategic communications. After a recent conversation with Noah Breyer, keen observer of social and technology trends, about the potential of marketing as a peace process intervention, I've been wondering if my poetry exists primarily as a marketing tool designed to convince me of my own legitimacy as a person and as a writer. Because the truth is, no matter what my resume, or my mother for that matter, may say about my accomplishments and worth, learning to believe in the Sage brand has taken nearly 18 years of thoroughly documented reflection, the most enduring multimedia campaign of my life. Jen Lemon, one of the leading sources of inspiration and hope in the blogosphere, made me laugh out loud when she described the extrovert's process of needing to speak everything first before writing it, which she suggested was far less efficient than the introvert's process of moving directly from thought to paper or screen. I suppose my process has been somewhat the reverse of Jen's, although I'm still not sold on its efficiencies. Most of the time, I need to write something down in order to know what I think. After I've seen the word after word after word manifest as an actual line in relationship to other lines in a poem or essay, my thoughts find a way to establish their root system in me. Eventually, they come through in conversation. If we are to consider our poems as our one-woman or one-man campaigns to get a little closer to who we are and what life on earth is all about, then maybe marketing and poetry aren't as disparate as I once thought they were. Both seem to be oversized mirrors that offer a way to more intimately know and reflect the world back through language. Yet, poetry and marketing have different core objectives. Marketing is a forum for convincing and selling. Poetry is a forum for exposing the bare bulb of truth. The arduous work of writing poems loves our edges off. Poems soften us into who we are and who we are becoming. They demand of us something more authentic and complete than most other experiences in life. A poem that doesn't enter the real space is not likely to connect with others or even resonate with the person who wrote it. Poems hold us to a higher standard by which we become more visible visible to ourselves and more authentic in that unveiling. It is only by writing ourselves through this poetry prism Than sharing what we've written, that we can arrive at the threadbare intimacies of real. So I invite you to think of your themes, your poems, as hungry stray dogs. They need you. And when you feed them, they stick around. And I'm going to close with one final poem by Rumi. It is called Love Dogs. Love Dogs. One night, a man was crying, Allah, Allah. His lips grew sweet with the praising until a cynic said, So, I have heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying and fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kadir, the guide of souls, in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I've never heard anything back. This longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. And I'm going to share one brief quote This is a, most of the chapters uh, start with a quote by a writer I admire, and uh, this one is a a little bit Nike-inspired, you will, the, the title of the chapter is Just Do It, and the quote is from Shauna Germain, who is a fabulous poet and writer of many genres, and she says, Just write. I know it sounds cliche or simplistic, but nothing else will teach you to write. You can take a million classes, read a thousand books, but the only way to learn is to put your hand to paper or the keyboard and get started. Imagine a novice baker who read all the cookbooks in the world but never made a cake. So just write. If it falls flat or gets burnt the first and hundredth time, that's okay. It might not feel like it, but you're getting better each time. So, Nyla, it looks like we have a few minutes remaining.
1: Um, We do. That was incredible. Oh, my God, you should see the chat room. They're all telling me to thank you, and what a wonderful show this has been, and it's just flown by, and they're asking me when the archive's going to be up. (laughs) But we've got four minutes left, and so I want to make sure that you, first of all, I want to tell you thank you so much for being here. This has been incredible for me to sit and listen. And I haven't kept Thank up with you the writing so prompts because I'm
0: <laughs> more than welcome.
1: Um, so I'm looking forward to be able to go back and listen to the show and archives as well, and and join in and do some of the writing prompts. I am so excited about that. But you had Wonderful. a special offer you wanted to let people know about um, a special treat for them. Did you want yes. to tell them?
3: Yes, I would. I would love to. Uh, a couple. A couple of uh, opportunity. A couple of free gifts for folks who are participating in this workshop. Uh, One, I wanted to let you know about a bi-monthly zine called the Writing the Life Poetic Zine, which I am the publisher of. It is uh, is a very substantial publication. It goes out by email uh, every other month. There are 10 columnists writing about much every dimension of the writing and publishing life. It is very informative and inspiring, and I would love to make it available to you. If you're interested, you can sign up at uh, in a couple different places. I have a, a website and a blog specifically for this book, um, and the addresses are writingthelifepoetic.com. If you go to that website and just Scroll down to the bottom of the home page. I think I believe on every page of the site, at the bottom, there is a little uh, box where you can plug in your email address, and you will be subscribed to the zine. And the only thing that you will get from me is the zine, you, uh, as well as an occasional update about classes. Usually, those are folded into the zine. Also, the blog writingthelifepoetic.typepad.com has a field for that. I'd lo- you can also email me at, sage at sage saidso, sage@saidso.com, and I will subscribe you. If you email me, I will also be delighted to send you a free brief ebook written by me.
1: And I think we lost Sage. Are you still with us, honey? Okay, it looks like we lost her. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put into chat the um, link for the um, information that she has. If you want to give her any questions, tell her thank you for the show or or anything like that prior to when she comes on with us on the 30th. I just put her email into the um, chat room. And once again, it's Sage, S-A-G-E, said, S-A-I-D, so sagesaidso.com. So go ahead and email her over there, and she will get the ebook to you and the information on the sign. You can also ask her what she needs to do or what you would need to do to be able to submit to that. And I am going to close the show with a poem that actually um, Lorena McKennitt has turned into a song, which is by one of my favorite um, poets, uh, William Butler Yeats. And it's called the Stolen Child. So we're going to close the show with that. And um, I want to I want to tell everyone thank you for being here. Make sure please send uh, send Sage a email and let her know how much we appreciated her being here today. I'm not sure why we lost her call, but she did an amazing job. And we will see her again on the 30th of March, and it's going to be the same time, Tuesday at three o'clock. And you'll be able to call in and talk with her and ask her questions about all kinds of things. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Once again, you are listening to the I was going to say the Speakeasy. You're listening to the Inkwell, brought to you by the Speakeasy Cafe Open Mic Poetry Show. I'm your host, Nyla Alicia, and we will see you Thursday on the Speakeasy and on the 30th for the Inkwell again. Thank you very much, and Sage, we love you dearly. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody.
0: leave the island with the lasting heavens awake. Draw the water up, may we feed our fairy back, full of berries and of rest on cherries. Come away a human child to the waters and the wild with the fairy for the world's more full weeping Than he can understand Where the way the moonlight closes We think we can see the light By far or further crosses We thought it was a night Weaving all the dances, Mingling hands and mingling the moon is taking to the light, to and fro, we kneel, and chase the frothy bubbles, while the world is full of trouble, and is anxiously near the sea.
2: Memorial Day Barbecue and we need to look as legendary as our spread to kick off the summer right. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, starting tomorrow. Splash into summer with an incredible 50 50% off all tees, all tanks, all shorts, all dresses, and all swimwear at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Wow, 50% off all those styles? Now that's epic. So is this? Tees started just six bucks, but hurry, it ends Monday. 50% off and tees from six bucks? Old Navy, here we come. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 525 to 528. Excludes clearance, active, licensed flag products, and men's packaged. You've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Help! My family's hosting an epic Memorial Day barbecue, and we need to look as legendary as our spread to kick off the summer, right? Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, starting tomorrow. Splash into summer with an incredible 50% off all tees, all tanks, all shorts, all dresses, and all swimwear at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Wow, 50% off all those styles? Now that's epic. So is this. Tees started just 6 bucks, but hurry, it ends Monday. 50% off and tees from 6 bucks. Old Navy, here we come. High fashion, Old Navy. Valid 525 to 528. Excludes clearance, active, licensed flag products, and men's packaged.